and I get tore up saying this, that if we reach great heights, it's because we've stood on the shoulder of giants. And I believe that with all my heart, because the reason I'm here is because Rod Garcia was here, right? Because he did what he needed to do, and now we're doing what we need to do. So, yeah, we're not alone. It takes a village. You can throw in all those phrases, right? Um, but, yeah, we're familia. We're here for each other first, right? We're here to see each other succeed. And um, I'm happy to talk this with anybody at any point um, because you're not alone. We're not alone. Hola, familia. I'm your host, Demia Sevin Hernandez, and I have the honor of welcoming you to a very special installment of Ship Out Loud, the podcast that amplifies the voices of Hispanics in STEM. This episode is special because it kicks off Ship's 50th anniversary. That's right. 2024 marks five decades since Ship's founding, and we're commemorating it in a big way. We're hosting a year-long party with a 10-city tour, a gala, and this is where we all come in. We're telling the inspiring stories of 50 extraordinary Ship members. We're calling this series, Ship Out Loud, 50 Stories for 50 Years. Each week, we'll be releasing an episode featuring the origin story of a defining ship member. Many of them will be familiar friends who have been with us since the beginning. Some of them will be new names who have more recently found their home with ship. But all of them are a testament to the vibrancy and resilience that makes our familia an enduring force in the world of STEM and beyond. We can't wait for you to hear them. And, well, we don't really have to wait, because today's episode starts it all. I'm not going to lie. The conversation you're about to hear might be the most inspiring, touching, and profound interview I have ever been a part of. It is the perfect way to set up this year of reflection and celebration. During NILA 2023, I had the privilege of interviewing Julio Grappa. Julio's story is like no other. It's like listening to a modern-day odyssey. There's realizations around one's true identity, technological challenges and achievements, the literal overcoming of death-defying odds, and invaluable lessons learned along the way. This interview is divided into two parts. The first half covers Julio's childhood, his 30-year ship journey, and unlikely career development. The second half delves into Julio's fight against a devastating cancer diagnosis. And a quick note, we just happened to capture a conversation before the official interview started. As I was meeting Julio for the first time, the mic was live, and the recording we got was just too good to cut. So you'll be joining us mid-introductions with a little more casual tone than you might be used to, but I think it's still worth including. Okay. Without further ado, let's hear Julio speak out loud. So I'm actually a fairly new ship uh, staff member. Okay. Yeah. So. And where, where do you live? I live in California. In what part of California? Uh, Lake Arrowhead. Lake Arrowhead, down south. Uh, yeah, yeah, south. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I went to school in Santa Barbara, and I grew up in San Jose. So. Oh, nice. That's a beautiful area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We used to go with my family up to Santa Barbara, and it's always fond memories of, of traveling there because. Yeah. It, it just it's beautiful to drive up there through the parts yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so that, that's a that's a lovely area have you been in california your whole life uh no i moved around um so i was born in mexico and then i started uh i moved to the states when i was two my parent my dad worked for hewlett packard so immigrated to the united states um and i pretty much started growing up here and when i was 10 i moved back to mexico back to guadalajara did six years in did I lived six years in Guadalajara. Uh, <laughs> did, did six like, years. Like, it's like, <laughs> like it's a, a prison, prison. <laughs> right? And no, it's the best six years. I loved it, and it really defined who I am as an individual. It was a very um, you know up until that point, I was uh, 
you know, I'm, I'm blonde, I'm blue eyed. I barely spoke Spanish. Right. I moved here when I was two and now I'm 10. Right. I'm, 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 a, I'm a American. I'm a gringo. Right? gringo yeah. And so I moved back to Mexico and I learned all about my culture. I like really get to learn. I grew up speaking Spanish. My parents spoke Spanish in the house, but I, you don't know it until you live it. So I, I fell in love with Mexico. I lived there till I was 16. So six years. And I came back to the States begrudgingly. I didn't want to, didn't want to move back, um, oh. but I finished high school. I did my junior and senior year in high school, and I went off to college in Santa Barbara. And I've been here ever since uh, to 11th grade. So long wow. time. Long, yeah. Long time. So, yeah, that, that's that's a really interesting story. Um, I also was born in, in Mexico and came here when I was six. Okay. But I had the opposite. I never went back. And I do feel like it, it's funny working here at SHIP and talking with the members has allowed me to kind of get in touch with my roots again. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so it's been pretty great. Absolutely. I struggle with that quite a bit, being blonde and blue-eyed, and, like, everybody's like, when they ask me, you know, what's your name? Like, Julio. Go, you don't look like a Julio. Yeah. If I had a penny for every time I've heard that. Um, but here at SHIP, um, I found a place. I mean, I hear it here all the time, and people make fun of me because I'm blonde and blue-eyed, and that's never going to go away. Right. But I found a place where I could proudly be who I was and surround myself by my culture, even though I've always felt like an outsider. Because again, I, you know, wasn't accepted in the U.S. because I was Mexican at an early age and then go to Mexico and like, who's this huero who barely speaks Spanish and he speaks Spanish with a very American accent, right? right? Like, you're not Mexican. So, you know, I was, you know, shunned by, you know, my own people, by Mexicans, right? And I'm here, I'm shunned also. So I never felt like I fit in. And ship is given me a place to fit in. even though i still don't feel like it um it's amazing i've been doing this for for 33 years now at ship and people recognize me and they come find me and i get hugs and I, even though i still feel like that weddle from outside this is family this is i love doing this and i you know i this is just as much for me professional development much more earlier on in my career than it is now but um it's also my my place to give back to the community. So it's my, um, it's my philanthropy kind of part of my life, but it's also a big part of where I feel like family, right? And I've got friends and uh, a legacy and, you know, I think everybody in life strives to find one thing that they can latch onto for their life and have that and leave a, an indelible mark in that. Yeah. And for me, it's not by design, but all of a sudden I look back and I'm just like, Oh, wow, I've been doing this for, 10, 15, 20 years. I look back this morning as I was doing my workshop. I'm like, man, I've been doing this for 33 years. Wow. I was in their chair. I was in Nila in 1993. Wow. Right. You know, what is that? 93. That's 30 years ago. I came as a student. So it's, it's, um, SHIP is a, an amazing organization that gives in different places uh, throughout different parts of your career. Yeah. And it's really neat to know that that's there, right? That's, I think it's like, like the quintessential definition of a network. Like you don't know what you need it for, but you know you need it. And it evolves over time. Um, and it's always been there for me to help me you know, through personal things. Um, I struggled with, uh, with cancer about three years ago. And a big reason for me to keep fighting was to come back and, and give, continue to give back to SHIP. So it's been very much of that part of my personal life journey as much as it's been professional development, as much as it's been helping others. So, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. 
my my cultural journey has been very interesting being an outsider but ship has played like such a huge part of me finding a community being able to identify being able to help right because if i wasn't doing this i can't picture myself doing doing anything else right yeah well let's dig a little deeper into julio why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what it is that you do now so i'm a a director of innovation services at Procter and Gamble. I, I'm a cat herder. <laughs> I have a I have a degree in chemical engineering, um, and my job right now is to um, connect people and technology, and find a way to bring new tech, new you know digital technologies to life. Right. So it's about understanding the users. It's about understanding what the technology is capable of. It's about understanding why we need it at Procter and Gamble, and working um, to bring all that to life. Been doing that for about four years now. Um, it's like the third stage of my career. I started with P&G um, straight out of college uh, in Sacramento, California. I started in manufacturing, worked manufacturing uh, and engineering. So at P&G manufacturing, we make the product in engineering, we're building the place that makes the product. And so I spent, um, the first 12 years of my career doing that and always working again, you know, up, up against the digital space, computers, uh, technology, yeah, my, my family, my, my mom, my dad called me, um, gadget guy <laughs> because I always had to have the latest gadget. So I was always butting up against that area but my education was chemical engineering. So I was in a manu chemical manufacturing plant doing electrical design work, computer work, and it was this really interesting mix about what I studied and what I was more passionate about. And um, about 10 years, nine years into my career path, um, I was at a ship conference uh, and I met the P&G ship recruiting team. So I had come to ship as an individual. I came, I came and participated, not because my company was sending me, but because I saw value in coming as a professional. And it was through one of the conferences that I met the P&G recruiting team. Hmm. I didn't know we had a recruiting team. I had no idea. And I met the P&G recruiting team. And through that, I made some friendships and some, uh, some I expanded my network, right? And one of the people that I met was uh, Miguel Alamany, the current CEO of SHIP. Uh, he used to work for PNG, and um, he was the SHIP team leader. And we developed a, a friendship, a work friendship, right? And throughout the years, I, you know, was talking to him. I, I, I sought him out as a mentor. He helped me, you know, at PNG. And in one of those conversations, um, he said, "Hey." I think you have a career in R&D. So I jumped all over that and I made a career change to go from the manufacturing engineering space over to R&D. And um, he opened some doors for me with some interview, who got me some interviews, got me the opportunity to talk to some folks. And one of those opportunities panned out and I jumped into R&D, did that for 11 years. Wow. And towards the end of those 11 years, I was back up against that digital space, working against, you know, the computer systems and the databases and the gadgets again, that at that point, I'm like, well, twice is no, no longer a coincidence. Right. right? And I, uh, that's when I sought to jump over to IT. So now I work in IT and I happen to support the systems that we 
use in manufacturing, engineering, and R&D. So the first 24 years of my career were all about learning how to use and doing the work. And now I build the tools. I create the digital solutions. I manage the digital, some of the digital, not all of them, that we use, that I would have used in those first 24 years of my career. So it's a really neat way to tie it all together. Um, but yeah, that's what I do. Um, I'm focused on creating um, or bringing to life uh, a cloud lab technology at PNG. So um, there are analytical life sciences laboratories out there that through coding at your desk, you, um, you can run an experiment remotely and you can run one, two, three, five, 10, 15, as many as you want in parallel wow. because these facilities have the technology and the equipment to run that. All you need to do is learn how to code. Right. So that's the challenge, right? Because you have uh, have PhD scientists that are, you know, analytical chemists. They're not computer coders. That's not what they do. That's not what they want to do. So how do you close that gap? Yeah. And that's the work that I do. I work on identifying the need of my scientists. And we know I've got coders. How do I get them together? How do I make that all happen so that my scientists can go run not just one experiment when he or she's in the lab, but they can run infinite number of experiments as long as they've got materials to sample or materials to, to test against. So um, it's a really neat technology, just getting it started up. It's uh, changing the way we do at P work at PNG, and I lead that program. So it's a really cool, really cool job, really cool project, a um, lot of ownership. Um, it's going to be up to me and my team to make it work. So we're excited about that. Wow. That sounds incredible. It sounds like you're uh, making amazing things happen and that you've had quite the journey to get there. I'm glad that we're, you're able to tell us about what you're doing because you started off as an engineering student, which is what our um, members are, mm -hmm. right? They're right. in that period of their life where they're working towards getting to where you are now. Right. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about what that journey was like for you from what made you decide to get into STEM in the first place? I've got the worst answer for you. That's okay. <laughs> I decided to become an engineer not because I was passionate about it, um, but because I knew what I didn't want to do. Right. Um, and I think this is a, a bad way to run, to choose one's life is to <laughs> run away from something when I think we should always be running towards something. But um, I was good at math um, in high school. I was good at science, chemistry, physics. It came easy. I was not good at history. I was not good at English. I hated reading. Um, just not my cup of tea. Sure. So when I put two and two together, I'm like, well, I think I'm going to be an engineer. Um, I grew up in a house of STEM folks. My dad was a, was a PhD in physics. My mom was a biologist. My oldest brother was a material science engineer. Uh, my other brother, who was still in college at the time, was uh, studying to become a computer engineer, and I was trying to pick my 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 degree. So I knew I didn't want to do English or or history or any of the you know uh, the social sciences, but I wanted to do math, science type stuff. And so I'm looking at engineering. I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And um, my grandfather had given me a book. Uh, my grandfather, a man that I looked up to a lot, um, uh, his hobby was chemistry. 
And the book that he had given me, um, that he dedicated to me, was a 1924 chemist's handbook. Wow. So, uh, mind you, this is 1989 that I'm deciding what degree, right? 1988, 89, right? So this book is way out of date, 64 years out of date. But my, just the fact that you give it to me, chemistry, right? It was such an important book. I still have it. And I was decent, good at math, sciences. I'm like, well, be a chemical engineer. When I really should have been like an electrical engineer or physicist. Because as I went into college and I started taking my classes, those are the classes I did best at. Those are the classes that I, physics, I love physics. And to this day, put a documentary, I read about it. I, you know, Science Friday, anything with science, like physics related, I love it. And electrical engineering, well, because that's been kind of my passion, right? That's where I've been getting into electronics and I did a lot of computer programming and electrical systems design um, early on in my career. Um, I work on digital solutions now, so always in that digital computer space. So that's what I should have studied. <laughs> I think there's a good <laughs> lesson there, though, because um, I think sometimes students are kind of scared that they're getting towards the end of their uh, classes. They're about to graduate and start this career, and they might feel like, well, now that I've done all the classes, I don't know if this was the right choice, right? But there's hope, right? You there can... is. Tell yes. us about that. So... Um... Yeah. Uh, I I think for me, the best way to bring it to life is um, I still don't know what I want to (laughs) do. And there was a speech written. There was a a journalist out of the Chicago Tribune, I think, is uh, where she worked. And she did the exercise one day that um, if she ever got asked to write a commencement speech, what would she write? So it's this faux commencement speech. It got put to music. It's called Wear Sunscreen. And there's a line in this song or in this speech that says, the most interesting 40-year-olds I know still don't know what they want to do with their life, right? So the boat's left on the 40-year-old for me, but um, I still don't know what I want to do with my life. And I think that that's been the blessing for me at PNG uh, for a couple reasons. When you join a company like PNG that is about your personal growth and development it's a company that's interested in you as an individual and a career path right they invest in you to develop you and they quickly we quickly when you work with somebody you fairly quickly can identify if that person's a a good fit for your company for your team for the project you're on whatever right yeah in a meeting or two or three or four you find out pretty quickly so at png they recognize the potential in me and they helped me figure out what it was that I wanted to do with my career. I've had such a varied number of experiences. I consider myself a jack of all trades, a master of none. And I'm kind of proud of that, right? Because it means I'm flexible, I'm adaptable, I'm, I'm, I'm good at learning and starting over again. I'm not afraid to get my project canceled because guess what? There's going to be another project and I'm ready to move on to the next one. Maybe sometimes too fast, right? I've moved around quite a bit my whole life. So I'm got used to starting over quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And um, so I moved through change fairly quick. I have some friends, colleagues that I know that change is much more difficult for them. Yeah. So they move through it slower than I do. Right. So um, I think my background enabled that. I think the fact that I've had this company that's really opened itself up to supporting me, letting me find my way. Um, of course, I've had to 
deliver along the way, right? Of you course. still got to do your job that you're hired to do. Might not be your favorite thing, might be the thing that you do while you're figuring it out. Still deliver, but I've had my journey along the way. And uh, the ship opened doors for me. PNG kind of opened those doors for me. All those opportunities of seeing different things has really helped me you know, find my journey because I haven't found my destination. I'm still trying to figure out what I'm better or best at. Yeah. But it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been, it's been empowering to, uh, to know that I have that support. It's, um, helped me be to, to grow when I really didn't know, you know, what I wanted to do. And that's what I tell when people, when I, so when I come in to recruit and when I'm hiring people, um, when I'm trying to convince, you know, these, all these great candidates to come, you know, apply at PNG, they tell me, well, I'm an aerospace engineer. Like, I know psychologists, I, I work with a psych major that sits next to me and she does the same work that I do. She's not an engineer. Yeah. Right. So you tell me that your major isn't the one, the mechanical or the chemical or electricals that we definitely hire the majority of, right? But I was talking to an aerospace engineer and saying, hey, um, you know, he's, what opportunities are there? Like, well, you're an aerospace engineer. Why are you interested in PNG? He's like, well, I'm trying to see where I could use my skill set. I'm like, well, as I thought through some of the things that we do, you know, I don't know much about aerospace engineering, but I know they talk about air moving really fast. Right. right? Yeah. I'm thinking, well, I've got some machines. Our diaper lines make diapers at these blinding speeds. At speeds so high that aerodynamics has to become a consideration. Right. Right. When you're making things of, you know, in the tens and twenties and multiples and almost hundreds per second, like those velocities move air. Right. So you have to do something with that. You have to design your equipment. You have to design your product. You have to design your packaging to withstand all that stuff. Boy, would I like to have an aerospace engineer go kind of go look at some of those problems. Right. Right. So at a company that's big like PNG or other big corporations, you have that ability to move around, right? And you're not always going to work in your major. You're not always going to be an engineer. You might be an engineer that gets, you know, goes up to senior management. At PNG, our last CEO started off as an engineer and made it all the way to the top of the company. Right. So um that's the great thing about PNG. That's the great thing about um, ship that opens up all those doors. I have a company that's been very supportive. So um, it's been a neat journey. Um, scary. Still don't know what I want to do. <laughs> but I know that I want to keep ship. I know that I want to keep PNG. It's giving me the opportunities. And I'm always open to, to the next, you know, to the next one. Perfect. Yeah. And so you mentioned ship. Mm -hmm. What was your first interaction with SHIP? How did you learn about it and what was your involvement with it? Oh, man, I wish I could go back and find the exact date that I wrote that check. I joined SHIP 33 years ago, like next week, like this week, next week. It was in August in 1989. No, August of 1990, sorry, August of 1990. And, um, I was, um, I was going to Santa Barbara. I'd already decided I was going to go there. And the, back then it was the minority engineering program that later became the multicultural engineering program. Now it's called DNI. 
right? They had a summer program called Summer Transition to Engineering Program, or STEP, where they brought in everybody that was in the, in the multicultural engineering program uh, for a two-week immersion on campus. Stayed at the dorms, and you're taking... You're going to take, you know, like the first week of English, you're taking the first week of calculus, you're taking, we're helping you, you know, register for all your classes. Uh, this was before everything was online, right? So right. you had to, you had to go get the booklet and read the booklet to register for your classes in Scantrons. And we spent the week walking around campus so that really when school started, we weren't complete newbies, right? right. We were familiar. We had, we can kind of, maybe not hit the ground running, but we were at least not a dead stop. And it was through that program that the Los Ingenieros, um, the ship chapter in Santa Barbara um, was, uh, that's where the advisor was and everything. So through that summer step program, the first thing we did like that first night or the second night was a ship Nesby meeting. So we all went to ship Nesby and we all got signed up. We were told you'll pay your $10 check, whatever it was. Wow. And you'll sign up, and we all signed up for Chef. So I started. It was. It was. I, I won't say I was forced to it, but I was. <laughs> it was. It was very much encouraged. Compulsory signups. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Maybe that's what we need to do. Get more membership. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, um, that's how I joined Chef, and I was freshman rep. Like four weeks later, I got voted in as freshman rep. I was treasurer. I was. I did co-chair. I did an external VP role. I did four four roles. Friends, friends for life. I still have friends that I went to college with that were in ship. They no longer are because they no longer are engineering. They dropped out of engineering, right? So, um, but I, um, I have a lot of contacts. My network is, it's infinite. I mean, I wouldn't say it's infinite. It's 13,000 strong, right? I mean, it's the whole I mean, membership. it's continuously growing, right? Continuously so it growing. could be infinite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's hope so. So it's from day one yeah it's it's so it's so interwoven to who i am as an engineer to who i am as a professional that um that's part it's part of my dna now i'm gonna take a wild guess and say that you had challenges um, in your path to becoming an engineer and it might be challenges that some of our current chapter members are going through can you talk about some challenges that you had and how you overcame them Five years and three summers. Six years. That's how long it took me to graduate with one degree out of Santa Barbara with a 3.02 GPA. I was not your top performer. I, was, I struggled. I struggled in school. I sucked at studying. I flunked Chemi 10 which is the class that you take in the fall of your first year that's introduction to chemical engineering. And I flunked it. And I, I mean, I straight up flunked it like, what are you doing in the major conversation with uh, Dr. Z? Was Dr. Zazadinsky was my, my professor. He's like, this, are you even in the right major? Right. I'm like, uh, yeah, I am. And I had to wait a whole year to take that class over again. So that meant everybody that I started school with is a year ahead of me now, wow. right? Um, so I have to make a new set of friends, uh, new study mates and all that. And I struggled. I struggled. My grades weren't great. Um, I struggled to, to do well. Um, I struggled to find balance between activities and grades and focus. 
so much so um, that it actually showed up in my interview with PNG. Wow. My the the guy that was interviewing me, I remember the question. I remember the guy, but Ray uh, Ray was interviewing me. He he he's we're towards the end of the interview. He's asked all his questions, and he asked he, he slows down. And he's like, "All right, so let's talk about your GPA." And I'm like, "Oh." Here we go. Well, I'm going to get disqualified on GPAs or something. I'm like, it's a 3.02, right? And he's like, why? And he's, I'm like, oh, here he comes. He's going to drill me on the GPA. Um, what classes did you fa uh, fail pass? You know, what was thermo, whatever, right? Yeah. And I tell him, I'm like, well, and I don't know where I got this answer, but I remember very clearly saying, well, if you're looking for a 4.0 student bookworm, I'm not your guy. I'm balanced. I like to have fun. I'm a chapter president. I'm, you know, involved in MIAS. I'm involved. I tutor. I, you know, I'm mentoring. I work, right? Um, I, I'm in a fraternity. I play soccer. Um, I, I do all these other things. I'm a normal human being. I'm a normal human being. I didn't say that, but I'm like, I, I'm balanced. This is what I do. And I do a little bit of everything and I move everything forward. I'm not just going to do one thing at the, at the expense of others. Yeah. But if that's what you're looking for, I'm not your guy next question so so he moves to the next question um and i'm sitting there i'm like well okay i guess that worked or it didn't we'll find out and apparently it worked so yeah i struggled a lot with school i struggled with my grades and priorities and balance but i think the thing that got me through it was just determination knowing that i it, it had to be done there was a duty to be done a, a responsibility to my parents responsibility to those before me um i was you know the competition between my siblings my two brothers and i, I wasn't going to be the guy that didn't become an engineer right being the yeah. youngest one um i'm not first generation to go to college i'm second generation to go to college um so that really helped right give me a a, a context um but it was hard it was hard it wasn't uh, a gift um but i i think i i got lucky along the way I got, I had good, um, good connections or no, I shouldn't say connections. I had good friendships. I had good mentors, good advisors. My parents, um, were on point with me all the time and they kept me focused. I moved out when I was 18. I got my job when I was 23. So I say six, five years and three summers because Santa Barbara is the we're in quarters. Right. So it was three quarters per year. Right. So I did five actual academic years and then I did three summer sessions. So those three summer sessions actually amount up to another year. Right. So six years to graduate. Um, and um, I graduated. I I had to leave. So I had to graduate because I had, was maxing out on the number of credits. Yeah. Because like you've been here too long. You're not passing your class. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, what do you want to do? And I finally I graduated and. Fortunate enough that I had gotten at one of the conventions. I was at ship convention. I uh, had interviewed with Kraft. I had interviewed with um, a couple other companies. I interviewed with a company out in Houston called Herxelenes. And I'd gotten a, a summer intern offer. That summer intern offer got me some experience um, that when P&G came to Santa Barbara, that experience, that one one line that was on my resume made P&G interested in my experience. And we got to talking 
And I wasn't expecting to even interview with P&G. I was looking to go back to Houston. And all of a sudden, I've got this one hook, this one, this one little, you know, connection between my experience and what P&G was looking for. And all of a sudden, I've got a career with P&G 28 years later. And I can tell you, I can trace. I wish I could tell you which convention that was, but I can trace back to, I know, I remember the interview for Herc Selenese at convention that got me that job, that got me, the, and again, I, all the way back up to, to where I am today. So, um, open doors for me. Um, and I, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And I've heard some of our chapter members express themselves that when they start possibly doing bad, um, in classes or not exceeding as much as they had been exceeding in, for example, high school, because it is a different, oh, yeah. you know, experience. Um, sometimes they begin to question themselves and they do begin to ask, is this what I should be doing? Is this right for me? Was I was I too greedy to think that I could do this? And I think that your experience is a valuable one because you're showing that it's okay to struggle, right? And that you have to just keep going and doing your best and that you can get through it and you can find success even though you might not have had the perfect 4.0 GPA. There is still success to be found, especially if you're involved in all the different activities like you were, where it ship was a was a, a, already a big part of your life, right? And so the fact that they're out there gaining these skills, it still provides that value to companies who are looking for those skills. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you're building your, I don't just bring one part of my mind to work. I bring my entire self, right? So I need to bring all aspects of that, which is I need to be happy. I need to have that balance. I need to be able to lead. I need to be able to do technical. I need to be able to do work on my own. And that all comes to work to, with me to work. But uh, no, you're absolutely right. The the one thought that that triggers, you know, I've heard some of the students and it, I hear it often and it's um, that idea of I don't belong or what if I don't belong or, I, you know, you, you, you said it, what if I got too greedy? And I say, be greedy. Go after what you want to do. You might struggle to get there. It might not be the right actual solution, but don't for a second think that you don't belong in STEM, that you can't do this work. If you're interested, if you're innately like interested and you're better at math and, and, than, and, and science than you are at English and history, like I'm, you're an engineer, you're a scientist. Go find out what you want to do in that field, but you have every right to be at that table as a scientist. Maybe you're not going to be an engineer. That's fine. But be, go be the best scientist. Go be the best physicist, the best chemist, the best, I don't know, entrepreneur, gadget inventor, whatever. Yeah. Um, don't limit yourself to the definition of being an engineer, but be passionate about science. And when you're passionate about science, that gives you the right to be at the table and that nobody can take away. Right. And then the challenges become like, where do I work? What is my career? What technology do I want to work on? Right. As a computer engineer, like the, the solutions are infinite, right? Between hardware and software and platforms. And, you know, it's just like pick. So you don't have to zero in on one and only go do that, which kind of goes back to that jack of all trades, master of none. I think that we as um, as a culture are very adaptable. Yeah, like we're very resilient um, for a lot of reasons. That plays in the business world. That plays in the workplace when you're resilient and you can. And the boss says, "Hey, I got somebody. I I got a project. I need somebody." Oh, 
I can do it, right? I'll, I don't know how, but I'll figure it out. I'm yeah. like, um, because I know I've done it before, right? So that that flexibility, that that persistence is is innate in us. So when we struggle, like lean back on that. Like talk to your friends, talk to your family, share. You know, share good news, share bad news faster, right? So if you're struggling, share. Nobody wants to see you fail. At PNG, we firmly believe in many things, but two of them are that everybody wants to, wakes up, that everybody wakes up in the morning wanting to be their very best and that people are the most important asset that we have. And when you start your day off thinking that way about people, thinking that way about yourself, you can accomplish anything. You, and, and you know what? And even if you don't accomplish that day, it's like you tried and you're going to get up and you're going to do it again tomorrow because it's possible. It really is possible. Um, there's people with less um, than a lot of us that do way more. Um, so I'm, I've got nothing to bitch about, right? I got nothing to... to, to <laughs> to um to complain about because uh, it's it's just a matter of like deep breath it sucks it's hard you know dust yourself off cry it out a little bit and then next let's move on let's move forward because that's what we got to do definitely you mentioned that you um fought uh, with cancer can you yes. tell me about that experience when in your life did that happen and and what was that journey like uh my journey um very tight to ship once again in 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 a couple ways um so my whole life up until 2019 up until right about the beginning of september of 2019 i'd always thought i'm very blessed my life's been easy yeah i've had my challenges but the fact is, is my life is had has been it still is very blessed but it had been really easy to that point i go off on a vacation with family um and friends and on this vacation i get sick um, i come down with the flu which was not cool because we're out in uh out in oregon and wine country and i'm at, at the airbnb with 105 degree fever and i've got the flu and i'm feeling terrible and Lo and behold, two days, I got to fly back to, to, to Cincinnati, which is where I lived at the time. And I go back to Cincinnati. I kind of get better, but I'm still not 100%. Um, and I go to one of those urgent cares thinking uh, I need a doctor to look at me. Sure. And um, the, the doc, uh, or sorry, not even the doctor, the nurse practitioner, like uh, gives me medicine. They you know, do all the analyses and all that. She's like, this doesn't make sense. You should go get a scan. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. She's like, no, go right now because you're doing nothing. You might as well go right now. Right. And I'm like, fine, I'll go. And that was in October. I think that was October 4th of 2019. I got the call that said, hey, you have something on your kidney. Uh, you need to go see a doctor. And that turned into a month of urologists and oncologists and that we think it's a it's clearly a tumor we're gonna have to remove it obviously right so uh, this is right before ship national 2019 and i'm the ipc chair right so the ipc chair owns opening up convention 
It's the opening ceremony. The IPC chair speaks, right? And that's part of the opening ceremony. And I'm just got diagnosed with a tumor and I'm like, I'm preparing my speech. I'm getting ready to go to convention. I'm taking my recruiting team. This is all at the beginning of November. And I'm here, I'm in the middle of October dealing with like, I think I just got diagnosed with cancer. And um, I call up my vice chair and I tell Nora, I say, Nora, I'm not going. I made a decision. I'm not going. Um, I'm going to get operated. We're going to go ahead and uh, try to remove the tumor. Yeah. I get operated like the Monday after convention. It wasn't like I could show up to convention and then fly home and then be ready for surgery like the next day. Right. Yeah, so I, 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 I had to uh, not come, which was heartbreaking because I've done this year will be my 27th and Salt Lake City will be my 27th convention. So I've done most of my 33 years and I can't go. So I'm really bummed, um, but I'm dealing with this. And um, I uh, go through my surgery, um, you know, convention goes on fine, but I go through my surgery and the doctors tell me, hey, we have to wait about two months for all the scar tissue to go down and everything to um, kind of all the swelling to go down to see what's what. And in those two months, I have a follow-up scan and one of my doctors says, you know, let's do a brain scan. It's like, we don't need to, it's not going to show anything, but let's do a brain scan. I get a brain scan and sure enough, time passes and all the scans come back and I get diagnosed and the biopsy comes back. I'm sorry. With along with the scans that come back, the biopsy comes back. And the biopsy comes back with, I always get this wrong, positive margins, which means that they didn't get all the cancer when they removed the tumor. So I go through the scans and the scan shows that I have a, a lesion in my brain. So I'm now Got, having gone from not knowing I had anything at the beginning of October of 19 to I'm um, stage four kidney cancer, April of 2020. So we're all getting into pandemic. Um, it's at the very beginning of pandemic and I get diagnosed stage four cancer and they immediately put me on uh, immunotherapy and the immunotherapy is going to be the thing to save me. And it puts me in the hospital two months later. Wow. And at this point, immunotherapy has destroyed my colon. Um, my body is attacking itself. And we're talking about doing a colostomy, which is when they remove your colon. Wow. And I said, no. And I said, nope, I'm not ready. This is, no, I, I don't know, but no. Maybe too much information. I'm not ready to poop in a bag. No. <laughs> right. So not going to happen. And um, I leave the hospital at the end of this is in June. The first time I go in towards the end of June, I leave the hospital. I go home and I'm home for July and I'm recuperating. August rolls around and I um, go back into the hospital. I get an infection. And when I go back into the hospital, they, I, you go through this set of scans, right? Um, CT scans, MRI scans. And the doctor comes to me and says, the cancer's everywhere. Oh my God. You have two months to live. get your stuff in order. And this is August of 2020, end of August of 2020. 
of course I'm destroyed. Of course, I'm like, I'm not done. I'm not even, just turned, just turned 48, 49. And I'm not done. No, I don't accept this. But I leave the hospital barely able to walk. I'm, I'm in bad shape. I mean, I'm in bad shape. And I go and do the worst thing that I've ever done. I think the worst thing I'll ever have to do, which is go buy your own funeral plot when you know you're dying. So I didn't have that done. I had time. I, mean, I was 48. I wasn't going to do that until my 50s or 60s. Do that later in life, right? Um, I had to go buy my funeral plot because in two months later, I was going to be in the ground. And I had to pick, like, where do I want to sit for forever? And, and it was like, no, I don't want to be under this stupid tree. No, there's, you know, there's some weeds over there. I'm like, finding the stupidest reasons to not pick a plot. Sure. That's, and I'm at the cemetery. I've got a cane. Um, it's pandemic. We all got masks on. I can't even make it to half the grave sites that the sales lady wants to show me. Finally, I'm like, the first one. I don't care. I'm done. Right. Um, yeah. And my thinking is like, and it's not, and in, and in six weeks, it's not going to matter. Right. Yeah. Cause it's the beginning of September. September goes, like kind of fight it. I'm getting a little bit stronger, but not really. And it's almost like every two months, like it was in June and then August. And then it's the end of October and I get an infection and I'm back in the hospital. And I'm like, oh, like write your eulogy, write the goodbyes, right? Cause this is it. And at that point, they put a drain in me um, to help with this infections that I keep getting. I'm loaded up on on steroids um, to try to get the infection to come down, but I'm off my chemo. And while I'm doing that, well, guess who likes steroids? Cancer does. So the cancer's growing. And it's this battle of knock the infection down, grow cancer, knock the cancer down, infection grows, right? And I'm dancing yeah. between the two. And that's October. And somehow I come out of it. And I go back home at the end of October. And I'm like, well, dodged a bullet for now. Because I still got tubes sticking out of me and I'm not feeling great. And I um, go home and at this point, I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to go out on disability. Because up until October, I was still working. Which is like the stupidest thing. <laughs> but I finally go out on disability. I'm staying at home, trying to be get healthier. And then... December rolls around right before Christmas and I go back into the hospital. I was in the hospital for my birthday. Like I got out like day before my birthday, which really sucked. I'm getting out of the hospital the 23rd of December. Again, another infection. The cancer has slowed down. In some places, it's kind of my body's fighting it. It seems to be that what I'm doing is working, but it's still everywhere. Yeah. Um, it's still everywhere. And my focus is these infections, because with these infections, the cancer's not going to matter, right, if I keep getting these infections. So I go home in December with a, a new tube sticking in me so I can have IV medicine put into me every 12 hours. Nurses coming every day to the house. This is January of 21. The vaccine for COVID is on the horizon. Everybody's talking about it and they're talking about first responders and teachers and this, that, and the other and immunocompromised. And I'm thinking score, I'm going to get the vaccine. January turns into February, two months later, and I'm like waiting for it, waiting for it. And like clockwork, I get an infection again. I'm like, are you kidding me? 
But by this point, I'd gotten smart enough and I'd talked to my doctors and I'd realized that this is my journey, not my doctor's journey. And I started taking control of my health. And I told my doctor, I'm like, you know, we're getting these infections every two months. I need to have pills at home, antibiotics at home, that the minute I get this infection, I start popping those pills. Right. I'll come see you the very next day. I'll come see you that afternoon. But I need something to do before I see you, before you give me a prescription, because at that point is two, three days later and the infection's already taken off. It's like, I don't know. I, don't, I convinced him. And that's what stopped it for me. I was mm -hmm. able to get ahead of the infection, gave me more pills. We had the, 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 the analysis done. Yep, you're on the right medication. Keep going. And I beat that infection. So I didn't go in the hospital in February 21. March 21 rolls around. Vaccines are out. Um, but I'm not on the first pass. But it didn't matter because at this point, I couldn't walk. I was so weak. I started my journey off at 2.30, 2.35. I was down to like 160, 158. Couldn't walk. Um, it would take me, lived in a two-story house. It would take me 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes to go from my bed upstairs to walk downstairs to sit on the couch downstairs. Wow. I'd stop on the landing of the stairs to catch my breath. I mean, I'm walking like a 105-year-old man shuffling my feet um like i'm i'm miserable I, I, it's just i'm waiting to die i'm literally waiting to die um because i'm not getting any stronger and every day every morning i'd come down i'd look over at the kitchen and go make myself something to eat because i needed to eat right i'm not eating anything oh the medicines make everything taste like metal it, it's it's just everything you hear of is happening and it sucks and I'm walking by and I look over the kitchen. I'm like, I don't have the energy. I know I need to eat. I'm not even hungry, like not even a toast, piece of toast, nothing. I'm like, whatever. I go over to the couch and I, I look at the couch and it's full of pillows and blankets and remotes and water bottles and all my medicine. And it's another day laying on the couch and it sucks. But I, I get there turn around, right? Kind of like to get myself in reverse position, right? Yeah. But, but facing the couch, kind of a deal. And I just gone to the point where I, all I could do was let myself fall backwards because I didn't have the strength to sit down. Yeah. And so I let myself fall backwards and I land and I lean back and I let out the sigh and I'm kind of panting. I'm winded and I'm depressed and I'm miserable. And I hear as true and clear as I'm speaking to you right now, I hear this voice in the back of my head that says, if you don't get off this couch, you're going to die. And it was like, stand up and I, 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 I got to do something and I'm not going to sit here. I'm not done. Not today. And that's my mantra. I'm not done, not today, not today, not tomorrow. And I get up. I don't remember if I got any food or not, but I remember that I went and got my bag ready. I got a duffel bag ready um, because I wasn't going to stay there any longer. I wasn't going to sit there and wait for it to find me. So I started calling the doctors. I found out at what time the vaccine was going to be available for me. I was like the second person in line. 
um, at the hospital that morning. Like I showed up at like 6 a.m. Um, for an 8 a.m. vaccine. Two weeks later, I'm the first person in line. Like I'm getting that vaccine because I had decided at that point that I wasn't going to leave my care in the doctors that I had. I was going to go find MD Anderson, the Cleveland Clinic, Mayo Clinic, you name it. I was going to go find the best doctors in the world to tell me what I needed to do. And as weak as I was, as feeble as I was, on April 8th, I got my second vaccine, I think it was. Like April 9th, I jumped in my car and I drove down to Houston. Where people weren't flying, you're not flying. I, you know, I've got stage four cancer. Nobody's got vaccines. I'm not getting on a plane, so I threw a mask on myself, and I drove, drove two days to go see doctors at MD Anderson, and I couldn't even get into my car. No joke. I I, I drive a, a Forerunner Toyota Forerunner. I get into the car, and to get in, it's like you got to climb in, right? And I've oh. got I can't lift my arms. Um, so I get into the car and to close the door, I swing my hand out and I grab the bottom storage thing and I lean in because I can't pull the door. I lean in and with that, the momentum comes and it closes. Yeah. Now I'm sitting at this, at in the seat, steering wheels in front of me. I can't lift my hands up to grab the steering wheel. I have to grab it from the bottom and like an inchworm, move my hand all the way up top, Wow. all the way up top. And got in my car, drove 1,500 miles to Houston to get with a doctor, to insist upon MD Anderson that you will take me as a patient. That opened up other ideas. I went out to California, to Santa Barbara. I went out to Stanford um, to see what I could find. And I uncovered a, um, a therapy called dendritic self uh, therapy that um very much like like the movie deadpool hmm. um it's not approved it's in experimental trials or, or clinical trials for breast cancer now my understanding but not approved for uh, for my type of cancer so i find this clinic in scottsdale arizona my neighbor had suggested i read into this therapy i find this clinic in scottsdale arizona where i go and i spend three months in a, in a holistic therapy integrative therapy um where i get pumped full of um uh, naturopathic um remedies i do a lot of you know diet um and kind of body cleansing i go do this therapy in mexico because it's not approved to be done in the states right um, i do the therapy in mexico that um, takes out uh, white blood cells, takes out your own white blood cells and trains it against your specific type of cancer and then they transfuse them back into you. Wow. And then these white blood cells go off and search for the cancer. And sure enough, I felt it after they transfused it back into me. I, um, the, you know, the cancer was in my liver at that point and it's attacking it and I could feel it. Wow. Uh, and... Coming out of this in 20, was it 2021, September of 2021, I go and get my start to get, well, I've continued to have scans, but in September of 21, my scans start to show significant improvements. In November 21, um, my doctors are like, I don't believe it. 
uh, February, Mar- sorry, March of 22. They're like, mm, still don't believe it. It's still, you're stable, but you still have a lot of cancer. Fast forward to my last scan here in May. And my doctor's like, when I, when I, when I was in, when I came back from Scott, so I went to Houston, MD Anderson, got a doctor, didn't like what they told me. So I left and I went, found this therapy. When I came back from Houston or from this therapy to Houston, I had a different doctor. That doctor said, if you ever do this experimental therapy or anything, I'm going to put you as a, as a patient, uh-huh. a, you can't do that. Um, but B, um, like whatever, I don't care. So I said, sure. Yeah, yeah, whatever. I won't do it again. I'm like, <laughs> in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'll do it tomorrow if I have to. It's not your call. Right. But that was in November of 22. Fast forward to, to May of 23. And he's like, um, yeah, that therapy that you did, what'd you do? And now he's asking, he's curious because all the scans have come back that says like, you're stable. You're so stable that these, we don't think this is cancer anymore. We think these are cysts. Wow. And these cysts, well, well, where'd these come from? Well, there's scar tissue and what is scar tissue around all the cancer lesions. And the doctor's like, well, if that's the case, then what attacked your cancer? Because this isn't how the body usually heals cancer. Well, remember I did that therapy. So now my doctor's all of a sudden very interested in what I'm doing. Wow. But it's been a, um, it's been a ride because all along, all along, I've had ups and downs. I've had the immunotherapy and the, and the medicines I was taking and the cancer did a number with my body. Um, I'm, I'm definitely not as strong as I used to be muscular wise. I've, you know, I'm just not as strong. Right. Um, but my, uh, my digestive system, my internals aren't as good as they used to be. So I still have incidents. I still have, you know, um, trips to the hospital here and there. It's been a lot less, but this therapy did something. Yeah. But along with the therapy, it's not just what I did for my body. It's also been like the emotional journey, the, the, the support, right? I have an amazing wife. My love for her and the family has driven me, um, is what got me off of that couch. And the one thing that really helped me throughout it all was, um, this is going to sound so silly, but at beginning of pandemic, how many of us jumped on chats and Facebook and reconnected with friends and, Hey, I haven't talked to you forever. Why? Cause we were all forced home and we were so bored. Right. Right. And there's only so much Instagram and so much TV and all that, that we're like, okay, fine. I'll go talk to people. Right. <laughs> and through, through the beginning of pandemic, I got added to, invited on a couple chats that I've made some lifelong friends. And these were people that I'd never met. I'm talking to in February of 20. It's a ship chat. Wow. It's a, just a, it's a handful of ship. We had the big chat. There's a big chat for convention for ship professionals that's, um, it's, it's been going on for years, right? Yeah. And it was a subset of the people in this chat that got along that we were always texting each other. And I didn't know. I was kind of paying attention to the bigger chat. And somebody invited me. Hey, I kind of like you. Hey, come join, join, come join this other chat. And it was through that chat, through um, five people, five people that I um, found people to talk to. I found a reason to wake up in the morning and 
send stupid memes, see what memes were being sent to me. Find it, 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 uh, you know, when you pick up your phone and you go look for that text or you go look for something, it yeah. was like that. When I had nothing to be excited about, I was excited about that. Ship saved my life. Ship, I, I came back and so we didn't have convention in 20. I came back in convention of 21 as a professional. Well, actually I came back as an individual because I wasn't even working. I was still out on disability, but I'm like, I'm strong enough and I wanna go see my friends in Orlando. So I went to convention as a, as a participant, which I hadn't, I've never done since I was, well, I hadn't done since I was in, in, in college. Yeah. And just to see my friends, to see the people that I'd been seeing for so many years come up to me that I'd only see once a year. Oh my God, it's good to see you. Oh my God, where you been? Oh my God, what happened to you? Yeah. It was just a lot of like, I'm so glad you're here. Like what, like, of course you gotta be here, right? It's like, you've been doing it. So it, again, I felt like I belonged and I, and I needed to fit in and I needed to come plug in. Um, so for me, even my cancer dream has got shipped woven through it, right? Whether it was at the beginning with IPC, whether it was in February of 20, right as I was getting diagnosed and the friends that I made that helped me through, through my journey, you know, the, 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 my, my coworkers on my ship team that reached out to me while I was out on disability, coming back and knowing that I was coming back to this, getting a place to tell my story. I told it at RLDC in region five last year, not leadership live but the year before and i had um a member come up to me and say i'm going through something very similar so we have in ship people struggling with disabilities we have in ship people going through these very real life journeys that aren't all the academic and professional so i'm keen on taking my journey and that's one of the things that i want to do this year at convention is bring back and find a way to to find something within all of us at Shift, how can we help our our familia with disabilities? How can we find ways to support us? Um, because we're quick to look outside, we're quick to look at industry, right? But um, in this space, this is I think we need to start inside. So, I'm blessed. I'm blessed that I got cancer. I don't wish it on anybody. I wish I wouldn't have to go through it, or and I know what's coming, but I'm blessed that I have it because now I have something else I can share and something else that I can. Well, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for sharing that because you're 100% right. Um, there are other people who might be going through life-changing events um, that are really impacting their ability to even just function on a day-to-day -day basis, and they're not alone. They're not alone. They're not alone. And especially if you're a member of the Ship Familia, you have so many people that care, um, that are out to support you, and are going to be there with you every step of the way and want to see you succeed and win. Absolutely. And so um, I appreciate you being open. I know it's not easy um, to, I'm sure that when you're telling that story, you relive a lot, of, a lot of those moments. But I appreciate that you're willing to tell it because you know that by telling that story, you're going to help others. Yes. The other thing that I say often is that, and this isn't me, I forget who said this, um, but it's never been more true that if we, and I get tore up saying this, That if we reach great heights, it's because we've stood on the shoulder of giants. And I believe that with all my heart, because the reason I'm here is because Rod Garcia was here. 
right? Because he did what he needed to do, and now we're doing what we need to do. So, yeah, we're not alone. It takes a village. You can throw in all those phrases, right? Um, but, yeah, we're familia. We're here for each other first, right? We're here to see each other succeed. And um, I'm happy to talk this with anybody at any point um, because you're not alone. We're not alone. Perfect. Well, I can't think of a better way to end this interview. Thank you so much for taking the time and energy to do this with us and sharing your story because now it's safe for posterity. Um, it's it's going to be shared with the world and hopefully somebody's going to connect with it and I'm sure they will. Um, and they're going to use this as energy that they need to keep on going and, yes. and fighting yes. for success. And that's all I can hope for. So thank you. Thank you for the opportunity and thank you to SHIP for everything that it's been. Thank you, Julio, for giving me and our listeners the gift of this conversation. It was truly a golden opportunity to get to know you better. This is the kind of interview that will stick with me for a long time. Familia, if you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, you're in for an incredible year ahead. 50 Stories for SHIP's 50th anniversary will be full of remarkable stories and life-changing gems. You can look forward to conversations with Miguel Alemani, Diana Gomez, Will Davis, Emily Ann Vargas, the creators Jose Villanueva, Eduardo Flores, Fernanda and Sonia, Jay Flores, and Elio Murillo. There will be past board members, present board members, star award winners, and so many more. It's an exciting time to be a part of SHIP. Our next episode drops early January, and then we're on a weekly schedule from there on out. Stay tuned. And now, I'd like to give you a little short tease for next episode with Miguel Alemani. So, uh, Miguel Alemani, a uh, 40-year veteran of Procter Gamble. I've been with uh, Shep about 25 years, on and off in different different capacities, and, and now the interim CEO. I was retired and came back from retirement to do this, and as soon as we get your CEO, I'm gonna go back to retirement on the beach. <laughs> I was born in Puerto Rico, San Juan. My family is from Catalonia, from, from Mallorca and, and Barcelona. And I always known I wanted to be an engineer since I was a little kid, five years old, I just didn't know it was called engineering. But I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I mean, I I, I would take machines apart, put them back together. I wanted to know how things work, how to make them work better all, all my life. Uh, eventually, I realized it was engineering, so I, I went into engineering school. And, you know, the universe has a sense of humor. Let me, let me tell you a story. The only reason we exist is to serve our members and help them get into STEM, help them stay in school, help them graduate, and help them get a job. That's all we do. Learn more about SHIP on our website, www.ship.org, or our social media platforms listed below. To become a member today, click here and use code POD22 for 10% off. And remember, you belong here and at every level of the STEM industry. Cuídate, familia.